electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Cameron Costa. Today on our podcast, rounding a corner to end the pandemic, but still a long way to go. President-elect Biden's approach to COVID and Congress's approach to stimulus with New York Times columnist Tom Friedman. We're up against Mother Nature. We haven't been up against her, all of us together this way. And she is relentless. Signing off on pandemic stock plays, DocuSign is on a tear. CEO Dan Springer on his company's 220% rise since mid-March. People see that it's an opportunity to drive digital transformation and significantly improve their business results. And Friday Night Flicks. In a surprise move, Warner Brothers may have changed movie theater traditions forever. I like the popcorn. Okay. Shocker. I need that fake yellow stuff (laughs) is what I need and lots of salt. But industry watcher Rich Greenfield says, don't worry too much. People are going to go to the movie theaters for many, many years, probably many decades. I truly believe that. There is still going to be a movie business. It's just going to be more of an event business. It's Friday, December 4th, 2020. Squawk Pod begins right now. Good morning and welcome to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. I'm Andrew Ross Sorkin along with Joe Kernan and Melissa Lee. Becky's off today. First up on today's podcast, before we get to the fun stuff, a recap on the State of the Union. As we all know, the pandemic continues to wear on. And today is the first Friday of a new month, which means we get last month's jobs data. We got the jobs number. The government's November employment report. The Labor Department reported a slowdown in job growth in November, coinciding with a surge in coronavirus cases. The report was disappointing, but not completely surprising. Experts are seeing this as a sign from the economic data. We're not out of the woods yet. It's also a glaring reminder that the country is still awaiting additional relief. This week, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell resumed negotiations to strike a deal on stimulus. Again. Stimulus is, Congress insists, a priority, and so it is for President-elect Biden, who said that directly to New York Times columnist Tom Friedman on a phone call this week. Here's Andrew kicking off a conversation with Tom Friedman. They start with that disappointing jobs report. Tom, it's great to see you this morning. Um, wanted to get your thoughts on what you think these numbers portend for what's happening in Washington with stimulus, but also you spent some time uh, on the phone with uh, President-elect Biden, who wrote a fascinating column about it this week, and I'm hoping you can maybe share what you what lessons you, you learned on that call and how you think it may relate to how he's going to deal with the economy uh, given some of these numbers, what really strikes me is, is, is a couple of points. One is is um, how these companies are going to be doing so many cost controls, and the other is the massive and accelerated digitization of the economy that's going to come out of this pandemic. And you know, you put those two things together, um, uh, an acceleration, but that is much the second derivative is going to be much slower. You know, it's going to be very interesting about how how this pandemic. Um, uh, and the response to it combines with this m- a trend toward massive digitization of the economy and where then that nets out on the labor force. 
Was there anything that you learned in your conversation with President-elect Biden uh, that you think speaks to this issue and how he's going to govern? Well, I, I think the main thing is, is, you know, just talking to him is talking to a, a stable, rational person where everything isn't self-referential, frankly. Um, and I think the most important thing um, that comes out of it is he's going to be guided by the science and scientists, um, by the laws of physics and not um, uh, on this question, you know, more than anything else. And that's why he said yesterday he's for, you know, mass, you know, for the first hundred days of his administration, uh, because... You know, it, it, to me, the, the central point has always been we, we set up this crazy debate that it was mass or jobs, you know, mass or school, mass or football, and it never should have been that. It should have been mass for school, mass for restaurant, mass for jobs. And, and if people want to, um, uh, and, and as you know, we talked about this, I was very early on saying we have to, we have to balance lives and livelihoods here, folks. Um, uh, but, but to do that, you want to do it in the most rational way. And that's by taking the maximum precaution. If people want to go into restaurants, and Lord knows, I understand why a small business owner wants to open up, then, then mandate that you have to wear a mask. You know, um, uh, it, it, you've got to bow to the science. And the hardest thing of this whole crisis in the very beginning is we're up against Mother Nature. We haven't been up against her, all of us together this way. And she is relentless. She's just chemistry, biology, and physics. You know, um, you and I and Rick Santelli and whoever, we can feel whatever we want. She doesn't care. She's going to do whatever well, so she's going to do and she's going to be relentless about it. Here, you know? Here's the question I have. It, given what Mother Nature is going to do, where do you stand on stimulus? And where do you stand on uh, effectively potentially protecting or, or, or providing subsidization to businesses that may not have a business when this is all over, given some of the trends that you've been focused on and watching We've been looking at AMC, for example, movie theaters, and what's happening yeah. now with Warner Media putting out all their uh, big, big movies. It may not be a business when this is over, and that may. What, what do you do? Well, I think you got to err on the side of generosity, um, uh, and and there's a certain basic fairness thing. For some people, these stimulus, the stimulus is going to be a bridge to the future, um, uh, and the and the resurgence of their business. For others, it may be a glide path to the cemetery uh, of the business, not the person. And um, but at this stage in the crisis, on the basis of fairness and just, I think, um, compassion, uh, I vote on the side of the stimulus. OK, uh, Tom Friedman, I want to thank you for calling in and hope we have a chance to uh, talk to you again very, very soon. Coming up, remote work, remote deal making, remote contracts. DocuSign has been there for it all. And CEO Dan Springer says e-documents are here to stay whenever we get back to reality. People in a more secular way have realized they need to modernize their businesses. That's why we're super excited about the long-term positive growth ahead. Squawk Pod will be right back. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Squawk Pod with Andrew Ross Sorkin, Melissa Lee, and Joe Kernan. Here's Andrew. E-documents company DocuSign reporting better than expected results for its third quarter. 
And uh, it's uh, been on quite a wild ride if you look at the stock. The Pandemic Play stock uh, released upbeat guidance for its upcoming quarter, which prompted a pop in after-hours trading. Company now worth more than $42 billion. That's greater than Dow component Walgreens. Joining us right now with more on the report and what's to come, DocuSign CEO Dan Springer. Good morning to you, Dan. Um, it, as I said, the stock has been on a ride. The company has been on a ride. I think the, the big question that investors are asking longer term is, you know, this great acceleration has happened, but how sustainable uh, ultimately is in terms of this kind of growth rate? Can we expect this kind of thing going forward? Well, I think we're pretty excited that the growth rate is going to continue to be uh, dramatic and successful going forward, Andrew. Uh, we look at the uh, short-term impact that COVID has had, and obviously it's been you know, a horrible uh, pandemic in, in so many ways, but it has had some positive tailwinds for our business. But most of that, we believe, is less of the short-term change for the few sort of use cases that people have related to the pandemic and more of a digital transformation change where people in a more secular way have realized they need to modernize their businesses. That's why we're super excited about the long-term uh, positive growth ahead. In terms of growth, in terms of where you where you see this business, even two or three years out, in terms of what the agreement cloud even looks like? Well, I think, you know, a lot of people, when they say DocuSign, quite frankly, people still say e-signature, right? And we've sort of become synonymous with that blockbuster product uh, that we brought to market. And I think that's fine. You know, from time to time, people, we talk so much about the DocuSign agreement cloud and all the other, you know, important features we're building out in the platform. And uh, I like to remind people that Signature is great. Signature has been a fantastic return on investment for all of our customers. People see that it's an opportunity to drive digital transformation and significantly improve their business results. But increasingly what our customers have told us, it's not just about the routing around the workflow and the signing of the agreements. They have to generate those agreements. They then have to think about the integrations and the actions that they take once an agreement signed. And importantly, once you have a bunch of digital agreements, you need to manage them. You need to have a, you know, supporting sets of systems for doing that. That's the vision we put together a few years ago. I think it's spot on. I think it is a multi-year execution to really build out a platform play uh, versus just the fantastic solutions like eSignature, uh, which aren't going anywhere. They're going to continue to be, you know, the huge driver of our growth. Dan, I think investors are trying to get a better handle on what business post-pandemic will look like. So I wanted to ask you a question about um, one graph in your in your slide pack in the earnings release yesterday, and that's the average contract length, which is 17 months, which will get you well through the pandemic. In terms of the breakdown, 31 percent greater than 12 months, 69 percent equal to or less than 12 months. As you onboard new customers, can you give us a sense of how long these customers are willing to sign a contract for? Are they looking well past the pandemic or are they yeah, more absolutely. short term? Yeah, absolutely. I think the way to think about that part of the business is remember, DocuSign serves, we believe in the, in the long run, every single company. I know that's audacious to talk about it that way, but from the smallest mom and pop uh, SMB up to the largest fortune companies, they uh, are all going to use DocuSign and many do today. The contract length is very interesting. The small businesses, many of the folks that come to us on the web, a smaller portion of our revenue, but a significant number of our uh, over 800,000 customers are small businesses. Some sign on month-to-month plans. Most of those do convert to annual plans because we give them an economic incentive to do so. When you get into that core mid-market of, of our business, which is really where DocuSite started, these solid companies tend to do one-year contracts. But when you get to the enterprise, when you look at that sort of 30% you were describing, they tend to do three-year contracts. And just because of the way they're purchasing and procurement cycle, uh, we tend to see those in that three-year range. When you guys sit around on a Monday morning in the old days with a whiteboard, maybe now on a Zoom call, 
with your yeah. team and you think about the competitive set and what's happening in the cloud space. And as I said, we're seeing obviously this big Salesforce Slack acquisitions on everybody's mind. But when you look at the Microsofts and you look at when you just look at the whole, whole, whole space, who do you think of as your biggest competitor right now? Well, I'll be really clear. When we talk about competition, we, we, we talk about one phenomena. We compete with paper. And we can be paper and manual processes. That is fundamentally. Most of our business is greenfield. If you take a look at it, just in the signature business, it's about a $25 billion TAM. And while we're super pleased to last year hit a billion dollars in revenue, and we're now set on two, and sort of five is our next big hit, but that's just going to be a small penetration of that total TAM. And when you go to the sense about other companies, we have over half of the market in terms of what's been developed today. We think we have about two-thirds of the e-signature market. When you get into the broader uh, DocSign Agreement Cloud, there just right. isn't anyone uh, of our scale. Dan, we appreciate it uh, very, very much. The numbers are uh, remarkable, and we wish you lots of luck, and uh, hope you come back and uh, continue to talk about your progress. Thanks. Thank you. Next on Squawk Pod. I think you have to reframe how you think about the movie business. Media watcher Rich Greenfield on Warner Brothers' surprise movie move that shook Hollywood and Wall Street. This is a radical change for everyone in Hollywood. This is different because you're not doing box office, gross, and profit. Like You're looking at it much more holistically. Get your popcorn. We're back after this. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. You're listening to Squawk Pod. Good morning. Welcome back to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. I'm Andrew Ross Sorkin, along with Joe Kernan and Melissa Lee, who's in for Becky today. Now to the announcement that is shaking up the entertainment industry. AT&T's WarnerMedia saying that it plans to release this entire 2021 slate of films directly on the HBO Max streaming service at the same time that they hit theaters. Now, theater stocks have cratered as a result of this. AMC fell 16%. Cinemark fell 22%. Sources tell CNBC that no financial arrangements were made with the theaters before yesterday's announcement. Now, in an interview with CNBC, Warner Media CEO Jason Kylark uh, called it an overreaction and urged investors to take a breather. He said the decision was pandemic-related, but he refused to say whether the theatrical window would reappear in 2022. Excuse me, 2022. He also said that other entertainment companies like Disney, Viacom, CBS, and our own parent company, Comcast, would have to decide in the next couple of months whether they would follow Warner Media's lead. But uh, a big decision. I, I don't know whether you can put the genie uh, or the toothpaste back in the tube, or you know, figure out whatever metaphor you want in the future, which I think is the big issue. The economics of doing this 
are going to be challenging. They're going to spend a billion dollars of production costs, which they're not going to be able to really get back through the subscriptions. It would be a great jolt for HBO uh, Max in the short term. But uh, it's really going to upend the whole could upend the whole model at this point. I mean, I really feel for AMC. Sorry, Joe. Um, you saw the chart yesterday in terms of the reaction uh, to this news from from HBO uh, Max. They want to sell seven hundred million dollars in stock, 200 million shares, and they need to sell that in order to stay in business. Uh, and they said in the filing that if they don't sell that amount, they will go out of business effectively. It'll wipe out uh, equity holders. So the timing of of the announcement is is terrible uh, from the standpoint of an AMC shareholder. They are. Uh, it was happening anyway. That, yeah. that, that was the point everyone's making. I mean, it, it, the movie's ready. You have streaming capabilities. Why do this uh, anachronistic uh, system? The reason you do it is because there are people that still really like that, that old way to do it. So there will always be people that want to go get. I like the popcorn. Okay. It's a shocker. I like that Can even you if not it's make fake that butter. At home? So in Can it, you it, just it, melt a stick of butter and not, pour not it on popcorn fa- and not, eat it at home? No, no, no. That's real butter. I need that fake. Yellow stuff is what I need, and lots of salt, uh, theater salt. No, but, but there are people that are going to go either way, but there are those people that, that if you're torn between streaming and you got a 70-inch uh, screen, there, there will be some loss, uh, you might think. And that, I, I think that's kind of sad. It, uh, I mean, I'm glad Bogey's dead but here's and, the, and all the old stars aren't, aren't seeing well, what's happening because it, 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 well, it, it, it is a little bit What sad. about the Bogey? money, though? The economics of this. So yeah. a family that goes to they watch one movie is, is usually going to spend yeah. 50 bucks, you know, on a they, Friday night. Easy. Now you're going to spend 15 bucks for the month and you might. Right. And you might get four or five of those movies in that one month. Just Everybody's going to go the, want to go out, Andrew. There is going to come. Maybe that's just an initial bounce after this is all over. But. Uh, we're, I know people here are dying to go back. There will uh, be a to, whole to generation don't who don't I, know I don't the know. movie theater experience and have no attachment to it. An entire generation oh, to come. People, they yeah. already irritate me so much that those, those people you're talking about that if they don't want to go to movies, then fine. They don't need that uh, that experience anyway. Um, I thought there was something but else. But what does gonna... the movie? Ex- what does the movie experience become? Well, Meaning, is there a premium? A premium? It, it'll have to become a premium tier service. Meaning, it's not going to cost fifty bucks for the night. It might cost a hundred. And then, what do you, what do you get for, for that in the future? And can alcohol, and, and will these services, the streaming services, be able to afford to do this? At, at the at these kinds of oh, big streaming tentpole yeah. kind of films. Uh, you know, I don't know what twenty twenty two looks like. I really don't. And the 17 films are some that we've talked about in this house that that we were looking forward to also. I don't know what will. It is nice to be able to stream something if if you're not going out and and there's there's nothing else going on. Um, It's a tough one, but it was headed that way anyway, Mm -hmm. and it's it's just been uh, accelerated. But we've seen that, you know, how about other industries where you think it's gone and then you just see the real great players stick around? Maybe they'll still be. Maybe we'll be down 30 percent from from theater capacity or something like that. But I don't I don't think it's the end. Do you? Not in the short term. I don't know. I mean, and then there's the issue of the, you, the, like the Kevin O'Leary view of the world, which is he says there are just some companies that don't right. deserve to still be in business. The world's just shifting. They don't deserve help um, because we're just going to be living in a in a in a different era. And the question, of course, is whether movie theaters fit in that category. 
Right. You know, HBO Max is unique, too, don't you think? I mean, they, they needed kind of a, of, a, uh, of a jump start, maybe more than, uh, maybe more. I don't know. I don't know. How are they doing? Do you know? It's expensive. Uh, it, are they doing as well as some of the they, others? This will know. help them. This should this will help jumpstart yeah, their I mean. subscriptions. The question, which nobody, see, but nobody seems to know. We'll talk to Rich Greenfield about this, is sure, people will sign up because there'll be this, this string of 17 movies. The question is whether people are going to get clever at some point about the subscription game and going to turn certain services off. There's going to start to be churn. And, and then if there is churn, then the whole cost of doing this doesn't make sense at all. And I do think because technology is so interesting these days that we're going to get to a point where people are going to be able to turn these things on and off uh, in ways that, they, that we haven't been able to thus far. We'll see. That's a different prediction. Another wild card. Yep, it is. All right. We're joined by Rich Greenfield, partner and media analyst at Lightshed Partners. Uh, it does feel a bit like a watershed, Rich. And I think the question that everybody's asking is not just what it means for the theaters today. And obviously, we'll talk about the implications on AMC specifically because of the challenges they're facing. But what it means forever, meaning, it, you know, can you ever put the toothpaste back in the tube? I think the genie's out of the bottle, honestly. You know, look. People are going to go to the movie theaters for many, many years, probably many decades. I truly believe that. Kids want to get away from their parents. Parents want to get away from their kids. A night out, like there is still going to be a movie business. It's just going to be more of an event business. You know, think you've had Rich Gelfond and IMAX on many times on your show. Like it's going to be more eventized. I think just the going to the movies just to see a movie will be a little bit less than it used to be. I think there'll be just a lot more movies available directly into the home. And, and think about it, Andrew. The whole media business has generally been telling you this is the, at this point in time you can watch it here at this point you can watch it there now this is really warner brothers empowering the consumer saying look go to the theater if you want if you want to stay home and watch it on your hbo max service at no extra cost do it that way too like it's really empowering the consumer Rich, sure but how, how much magical thinking has to go on when it comes to the economics of this that that to me is the fundamental yeah. question you look at what's going to happen. This may be a great boon for HBO Max in terms of new subscribers. No question. But the cost of these productions, as you know so very well, is frankly outrageous to some degree and only historically has worked on an economic basis because you could actually make the money in the theater. I think you have to reframe how you think about the movie business. You know, we, we talk about Amazon entering the video business, not because they make money on video, right, Andrew? They make money because of the totality of what it means to Amazon. Apple doesn't, you know, do Apple TV Plus, which is, you know, if you've watched Ted Lasso or Tehran, like they're doing, they're crushing it on a creative basis right now. But you don't, you know, they're not making money on Apple TV Plus. It's building the Apple ecosystem and your love of the Apple brand. So I think you have to think about this more, you know, kind of throughout the entirety of not just WarnerMedia, but all of AT&T. But in terms of the very specific question, think about HBO Max. Only nine of 30 million people are using HBO Max that even have it today. So this is forcing people to start using it. Two, you're going to see more people come to HBO Max. This is going to make those subscribers happier than they've ever been. And it really is going to make this a must-have service. I mean, think about it. HBO Max is not on the largest platform for streaming TV, Roku. I have to believe this type of a bold move by Jason Kylar breaks that logjam and helps get a deal done with Roku in short order. Rich, what if you were to project out as a function of this decision, how many subscribers they will have 12 months out from now and how many you thought they would have had 
24 hours ago compared to 24 hours ago today. How would you change that projection? Well, look, HBO was losing subs. Remember, before HBO Max, HBO was in sub decline. Game of Thrones had ended. They were going from mid-30s down towards 30 million. Now, with HBO Max, they've started to rise. Now, yes, they're giving some of those away to AT&T phone holders, so it's not a totally you know, fair comp. But the numbers are growing. You're now moving towards 40 million HBO subscribers. We've always thought that you know the benefit of HBO Max and now putting what I think of it, this, right. is, this is the highest profile content. I got to believe you're moving to where you can move the needle up towards 45 to 50 million subscribers far faster than you otherwise Rich, ever the, could at HBO Max. Rich, but the two, two things, because and I know Melissa wants to get in. The thing yep. I don't understand about this is you're now talking about a business that's almost subsidizing other businesses. It's not an actually, yeah. you're, you're talking about an, uh, uh, an economically irrational business because of Apple having its business on one side or Amazon. I mean, this is like, you know, this is like Bloomberg, you know, uh, subsidizing their news business. What does it do to the, the Netflixes of the world or anybody who's actually trying to do this on an, an, an independent economic basis? Because if you're saying it doesn't work, then the whole thing really doesn't work. Well, I mean, Netflix is making uh, some of the, I mean, the, I think the gray man that Netflix is having made for it by the creators of the Avengers, the Russo brothers, I mean, they're doing movies that are 250 plus million dollars. I mean, I think Extraction was a 200 million dollar movie. So there are huge movies coming out direct on streaming services. Tom Hanks just did a movie on Apple TV Plus. You know, you're seeing a tremendous amount of movies that are not going to traditional box office. And I don't think it's torching cash. It's just they're looking at it through a different lens than box office uh, returns. And remember, Wonder Woman is still going through its DVD home entertainment release. Like it's still going to go through its sequential release pattern. It's just going to have a th all of these movies that are behind me on the screen, 31 days of, of premiering on HBO Max right. as well as in theaters. But, but, to, but to Andrew's point, Rich, I mean, the movies, the quote-unquote blockbuster movies that are being produced by Netflix, they're very different budgets than the blockbuster movies being produced by Warner Media, And so what, what, what's the economics behind this strategy for an AT&T? For Apple, you had mentioned it's to keep them in the ecosystem. There's an ecosystem to preserve and to perpetuate. For Amazon, the same thing. So what is the end here when you are spending this amount of business to acquire customers? I, I guess I would disagree with that last okay. statement in the sense right. that Netflix is now spending more on the, the, on the theatrical business on an annual basis than any US any traditional movie studio. They're probably putting $5 billion into the movie business on an annual basis now. And so they're making it work because you can, think about it, driving subscribers and ARPU is a far, you know, and having cash, you know, money spent the entire year. So $15 a month or, you know, $14 a month, whatever the number is on the specific service, if you can build up tens of millions of subscribers, that recurring revenue base is tremendous. I mean, Netflix has more revenue than the Walt Disney Studio. So right. there's a reason why subscription economics work. It's different thinking. I agree. This is a radical change for everyone in Hollywood. This is different because you're not doing box office, gross and profit. Like you're looking at it much more holistically in terms of what it does to the whole company. Right. This is where the world is going, though. If you look at Netflix, if you look at Amazon, hey, if you Rich. look at even what Disney's doing with Soul. Rich, thank you so very, very much. Thanks Melissa. for having me. That's the show for today. Happy Friday. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern. 
Get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show right into your ears. Subscribe to Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. We'll meet you back here on Monday. Have a good weekend. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. 